Geek News Reviews, commentary, not just another podcast, on the Ordinary People Broadcast. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett, on the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 47. It's our one-year anniversary on this geeky news podcast. All the geeky news you can use right here on Smodcast, Smodco Internet Radio. Thank you, Kevin Smith, and everybody behind the scenes, Will Wilkins, and all that stuff. My name is Kyle Bear. I'm a voice actor for anime and video games here on the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast, Otherworld Steve. And I'm tired, caffeinated, half-baked. That's right. Just as you should be every time we sit here on basically Wednesday evenings at approximately 9 Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific in the U.S. of A., of course, we have people who join us in our chat room uh, <laughs> from other places, such as Jez Oldfield, who is coming at us from the UK, and uh, Krabby Shot, we want to give a uh, shout out to, and of course, Cocaine and Whores, and all our, uh, our regulars, Robert J, and everybody who, who usually comes in here. Um, and you can listen to the live audio stream as we sit here and, and, and do our recording each week. Um, we really, really thank you guys. Uh, man, I can't believe us that we, we got basically our, our bicentennial episode here. We pretty much got close to 50 episodes under our, our wing in a year. That, that That's pretty that's pretty cool. We had a, a podcast prior to this. It was the Big Ball Broadcast, and that was uh, from 2005 to about 2010, 149 episodes. And uh, after that, when, when we went on hiatus, we joked for a while, and, and actually that was one of my April Fool jokes on the BBB Facebook page, was we were coming over to Spodcast, and I don't know that either of us really ever took that seriously. I, I think it was always, hey, be nice if, but we never held our breath, and when the opportunity happened, uh, thanks to Kevin, I didn't see this day coming, and I'm really grateful that it did. And we're very, very thankful to all of our listeners and all the downloads. We, we check the stats on SoundCloud. We're really, really grateful that you guys listen, whether it's on Smodcast or SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you're listening to our show, downloading, streaming, sharing. Very, very thankful. want to give shout-outs to everyone on the Twitterverse. At BB Broadcast is our handle. You can uh, reach us there. You can also send us some email love, thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com or bigballbroadcast at gmail.com. In fact, we actually want to want to start tonight uh, with a couple emails. Robert J., who I mentioned before, one of our chat room regulars, says, Hey, guys, congrats on one year on Smodcast. Since I started Third Shift, I haven't been able to listen live, but I still listen on SoundCloud. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Robert J. Robert J. has been fairly regular since we... Uh rebooted, rebranded. So thank you. And uh, William Lewis has some questions for both of us here. So check this out. Hi guys. I just started listening to the podcast a few weeks ago and thought I'd shoot you each a question you can dive into. Apologize if these have been asked before, but as I said, new listener, Kyle, what's one character that you would love to voice act? Could be anime games, whatever. Oh God, that, that's tough, man. Cause you know, everyone says they want to be Batman, but to me, Kevin Conroy's Batman. I just want to be like the next SpongeBob, the next big pop culture cartoon animated character. I want people to just say, that's the voice guy. That's the voice of so-and-so. I'm not a dub actor. I'm not the English voice of so-and-so. I'm very, very thankful for all that. That that's how my career in, in voice work started was with anime with Dragon Ball Z. Um, but now I'm doing a lot more games and hopefully trying to break into, uh, the domestic animated stuff. And that's my dream personally, just to, to work with, with the super talented people who have been, uh, icons in the field 
uh, for me for decades. That I could just die happy doing that. I just want to be in anything Batman or Star Wars or or something like that. That would be awesome. Now, Steve, this one this one's for you. He says, you love B-movies. What is one B-rated movie you would love to have appeared in? Any of them. <laughs> I, I, I'd be happy just to be a part of any of that. Uh, it's fucking hilarious. I want to amend uh, some of the, the shit I talked earlier about horrible B-movies. And I will say, so far I've watched, I believe, 115 over the last three years. Um, and there's really only two that I like. And the two that I like are... Um, yeah, I hit the pipe really hard, so be patient. <laughs> um, I didn't catch up for a lot of lost time. But Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and them, though those two, um, they're actually like really, really good, cinematically done, well-acted, good-budget movies. So, I mean, they're not all crap. I don't want to put it out there, that perception that they're all crap. There are some enjoyable films, and that's my take on it. You may find a lot more enjoyable. Uh, some of them are so bad they're good. Unfortunately, the majority of them are so bad they're bad. There's not a lot of redeeming factors. Some people went on to have very lucrative Hollywood careers. They started out with these bees. Some people, like Bella Lugosi, went out on bees. So it's very interesting regardless. It's, it's a great part of history, not just cinematically, but just what's going on in the world and everything. One of the movies, I forget which one it was exactly. It may have even been them. Uh, scientists is talking about, you know, it's the year 1953 and the world's population is this many right now. And, you know, we forecast that by this year to be this many and by this year to be this many. And then they say in the year 2000, we forecast that the world's population will be about 3.5 billion. And I had to look it up real quick on Google and they were off by about half because we have about like 7.2 billion people on this planet now. So for me, it's just interesting to find those little nuggets and I don't know. I enjoy that stuff. When the future is um, come and gone and you look back, it's like, wow, this shit's so dated. Like watch Escape from New York. When was that set? 1997 or something like that? It's yeah, it's really, really funny to be way past that date. I mean, even back to the future, as you know, because recently we just celebrated that big anniversary. And it's also wild, too. I went to see my grandparents Halloween night. And I'm asking them, you know, so in the in the 50s, you guys were, you know, a young married couple. Do you remember going out and watching these movies? And, and then I was talking to my mom and I'm like, shit, you know, half these movies came out before you were born. And I can't believe I'm sitting down and watching them. I'm looking at our chat. Alan S. says Otherworld Steve as Bella Lugosi as Dracula. I could see it. Me, I look like uh, Tor Johnson. And that's the Easter egg on the, the, uh, the BBB Smodcast logo. <laughs> the Tor Johnson guy right there. William Lewis goes on to ask us both. You both seem to enjoy some sort of anime. Have you watched One Punch Man? And if so, what do you think? Uh, I know that's like the latest uh, trend. That uh, big show. I don't think it's been licensed yet. I don't know if it's going to come in English or not. Um, I've only seen people post on, on Facebook with little clips or Tumblr memes or this, that, and the other. I've not seen any of the show yet. Uh, it has a very rabid fan base. That's all I'm aware of. I pretty much stopped after Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> that was quite a while ago. Uh, I went out on a high note. It gets to the point where I couldn't keep up with everything. And, and I only want to really watch some really good stuff. I don't have all the hours in the day to, to watch anime. I have to work and deal with kids and deal with a wife and deal with being high and getting distracted with everything else under the sun. So, yeah, Full Metal Alchemist, it's, it's not that old where it doesn't still hold up. I still recommend everybody go and watch that first series. I, I haven't watched all of Brotherhood, but 
You know, I, I feel bad. I haven't been following following along with uh, Dragon Ball Super. I feel like I should be watching that uh, torrented regardless, but I should be following that. And I just, I don't know, maybe I burn out on Z2. Oh, don't say that. Oh, a million Z fans just said blasphemy. They, they, they want your hide now. Yeah, but I mean, Z is like Star Wars, you know, the, the original uh, trilogy. I've seen it all. I've seen the original episodes. I've seen Kai. I've seen... You know, back when it was first edited on Toonami, I've seen the Canadian dub. I've seen the English dub. I've watched it in Japanese. Yeah, you know, I think you can burn out on a franchise. True facts. Hero 004 uh, says Dragon Ball Super is getting some mixed response. Yeah, we've heard about, um, you know, maybe some some corners cut on the animation, uh, some screen caps. But I think, honestly, I mean, you could do screen grabs from from any animated project and, and see, you know, very simplistic drawings to, to try and save money and, and get re- get everything. I, I haven't personally seen it yet. Hopefully the show is going to be dubbed sometime in 2016. That is not an official thing. That's just my theory. Uh, Strike while the iron's hot. Hopefully we'll, we'll get to get to record that into English for those who are listening to the podcast. And don't know what I'm talking about. I, I voice older Gohan, on the show, and I was also the narrator next time on Dragon Ball Z uh, on the TV series uh, for the box sets that are on Blu-ray right now, the original orange brick sets, as they said. You're being modest, and Ox King, and PyCon. And- <laughs> oh, yeah, Ox King, too. That's right. Uh, speaking of different voices, we got an email from Michael McCollum who says, Greetings, Kyle and Steve. I'm just now wrapping up a marathon catch-up of the show. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. I'm heading... Uh, and I'm heeding your pleas for an email submission. I wanted to share a quick story that Kyle may appreciate. I worked at Sega of America in the test department back in the late Genesis, Saturn, and Dreamcast days, and towards the end of Saturn's life cycle, one of the best RPGs on a system, Shining Force 3, came through test for localization. Since we were operating on a fairly tight budget at the time, they let the, the quality assurance department provide the English voiceovers. <laughs> And while we certainly appreciated the opportunity, none of us were professionals in any sense of the word, so the results were predictably disastrous. I've included one brief clip below, but I'm sure others would be relatively easy to find. It was certainly an educational experience, though, and let me uh, lets me appreciate to this day the hard work and effort needed to produce quality voice acting. Keep up the great work on the podcast. I'm also trying to stay as spoiler-free as possible for Episode 7, but I will be very eager to hear both of your thoughts once you've had a chance to experience the full cinematic glory. Oh my God, I feel like I should load this up. You guys want to hear a little bit of a terrible voice dub from Shining Force 3, Arctic Blast? I do, I do. Oh man. Now bear my Arctic Blast. Okay, well, that was, uh, that was very, that was a performance. Yes. Just the bare facts. That was, in fact, a performance. That was indeed audio. Somebody spoke into a microphone at some point. There's probably hundreds of examples of just that same thing on numerous consoles. But I think the video game market went through the same uh, hiccups that, you know, recently the, the comic book market went through where a lot of developers, production companies, the people payrolling these things felt it's for kids and, and, you know, kids are, are stupid little fucks. So they're not hanging on every word coming out. And, and the games weren't very dialogue heavy back then either, but I mean, fuck it's turned into a, a business that certainly rivals some big Hollywood studios and their production values have certainly changed over the years. And again, to seriously embrace 
comic books that were looked upon for, for many, many, many decades of being for kids to these lucrative multi-billion dollar films. Um, yeah, I, I attribute all that just to a hiccup of getting over that that cultural shift and appreciating that, hey, it's fucking entertainment. And it doesn't matter how old you get, you still dig entertainment. In our chat room, Krabby Shot says, God, when did they start caring about voiceover in games? PlayStation era? Probably the PlayStation 2, not so much the 1. <laughs> I think Resident Evil was pretty laughable. I think once you get into stories and, and they finally decided it was a good idea to have the player be engrossed in the story instead of just, you know, running around and shooting people or hitting your head on blocks. People are, are kind of taking a giant shit on uh, some of the, the voice acting in, in Star Wars Battlefront. I haven't heard any really laughable lines yet, but then again, I didn't have the volume cranked up too loud. I had multiple things going on in the living room, but I, I did fire up Star Wars Battlefront. Very, very excited to, to grab the collector's edition for PS4. My thoughts can be summed up pretty much like this. It's pretty much just a reskinned version of, of Call of Duty without all the intricacies and, uh, and the perks and the bells and the whistles that you've probably come to expect from your average uh, next-gen first-person shooter. But it is an amazing love letter to every hardcore Star Wars fan. It is so gorgeous. It is so beautiful. And yeah, let's face it, it's just nerd love you've had ever since seeing, especially if you're in your 30s or 40s and you remember that old school thrill of seeing the speeder bikes on Endor or the Hoth and with the AT-ATs and and, and everything, the snow speeders, to get to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, there's limited gameplay. It doesn't have near the amount of content that your average first-person shooter does, but the the graphics are just jaw-droppingly gorgeous. I know we've been saying for years, you know, don't judge a game just by its graphics, (laughs) to make sure it's something you can enjoy and has a good story and everything and uh yeah i'll make the exception i i haven't purchased the retail version i get motion sick very easily um but i did participate in the beta and that was fun as fuck for what i could tolerate and i think the part that isn't emphasized enough for me anyway is the sound is beautiful and i think the sound is what really helps pull you into that universe that you know you're in fucking star wars when speaking of star wars we do have an uh, an email from uh, our chat regular, Cocaine and Whores, who says, I am subscribed to my area's minor league baseball team's newsletter, and they've started pimping sales for opening day already. But along with that, they're pimping Star Wars merch. They've advertised selling Star Wars socks and baseball jerseys. Both have the team's logo on them, of course. And they have a player in the ad looking like Darth Maul. I was curious if you two have seen anything similar out there. Also, do you think the Star Wars merch is getting a bit oversaturated or too much? Uh, has it been oversaturated? Yeah, for well over a decade, I think, since the Power of the Force action figure line from Kenner in, uh, what, 95? I think you started seeing the, the, the deluge of merch start to just, once starts the rumbles were coming out after Jurassic Park and George Lucas said, yeah, I think I'll revisit Star Wars. But merch, in all fairness, is what allows us to see new star Wars. Now, you know, people thought Lucas was kind of crazy to be like, yeah, I'll sign away. Like all the box office rights and everything to 20th century Fox. I want the merch rights. And they're like, whatever, go ahead. There had never been a really a, a big movie that really latched on with the merchandise so well, you know? And of course there was that initial fiasco, the, the Christmas of 77 where there were no toys available. So you could buy your kids a fucking blank, box <laughs> with a piece of cardboard with some pictures on it one day you'll have those and those are ridiculously rare now 
Yeah, yeah, that's what Jez Oldfield in our chat says. They sold us an empty package in 77. <laughs> and I remember that. I never got any of the action figures because my best friend at the time had them all. I would just go to his place and I just rely on him to get all the Star Wars figures. And I don't even remember if he got the, the empty package thing or, or the mail away Boba Fett or any of that stuff. But he definitely had plenty of figures to play with. But that's what bankrolled Lucasfilm. That's what bankrolled ILM. That's what bankrolled the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, it's it's that game that you have to play. Yeah, you kind of have uh, where you have cartoons like He Man and Transformers that are made to sell toys. You had uh, <laughs> the toys are made to sell movies, <laughs> kind of in the reverse for for Lucasfilm. Something that was unheard, you know, sci-fi was just a dying genre in the 70s. I think Logan's Run was the last major film, and that was like a year before, uh, you know, Star Wars dropped and everything. Uh, and back to the original question that um, Cocaine and Whores was asking about, have you seen any baseball jerseys with Star Wars things adorning on them? Not officially licensed, so I'd be worried about those teams getting sued by Disney. Disney likes to sue um, a, a lot of people for a lot of things. So I'd be careful if I were a team as to what mascots and, and things would be adorning my, my jerseys. It's really blurry when it comes to things like fair use and <clears throat> how far have you altered it from the original uh, so you could at least have that argument of fair use. So, yeah, that that's a, a slippery slope. On the same track, though, I forget what cell phone commercial I saw recently. It's either Sprint or Verizon, uh, one of those two, the one with Chewbacca and BB-8. And regardless of what they're trying to shill in that commercial, I fucking love that commercial. I Really, I'm being sincere and honest. It's a fucking great commercial. And you have two characters that can't speak in English anyway, and it it's almost uh, makes it more enjoyable. So if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. It, it's probably as good as the trailers themselves. I remember you guys can always send your feedback at BB broadcast, the big ball broadcast at gmail.com or big ball broadcast at gmail.com or in our chat room. When we go live, uh, 9 PM Eastern ish, <laughs> 6 PM Pacific ish on uh, Wednesday evenings, typically. But uh, if you follow us at BB broadcast, we'll give you all the deets with the links to our chat room. Shout out to Jason peer and the kind folks at otakulife.net for supplying us with our chat room and uh, Smodco for giving us a, a forum to, to, to hoist our geeky news for all your lovely, lovely geeky needs. So uh, what, what is going on in our, in our uh, universe, Steve? Well, this one immediately grabs me and I'm more curious to get your opinion than to actually really talk too much about this. Um, but I don't know if you've heard about this pop cultural phenomenon over in Japan that uh, goes by Hatsune Miku. And what Miku is, for those who don't know, um, she, and I use the term loosely, is uh, entirely a work of fiction. And what I mean by that is she's a hologram pop singer, and all her songs are done via Vocaloid. And what Vocaloid is, is it's software that generates human-sounding human sounding singing voice, but without any actual human singing you know so you basically type the words in the keyboard and it sings it back to you now i've been aware of this for a while but what i thought was a little surprising was that uh, she has announced a canadian and north american tour for next year and appearing in 
places such as uh, Seattle, Washington, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Dallas, Toronto, New York, with more dates being added. And what I didn't know prior to reading this article, too, is that she also appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman and opened for Lady Gaga last year. So here's my thing. I love the gorillas. Not everything. Most of their stuff. And gorillas is essentially almost the same thing. It, it's a, a fictional band in a fictional universe and their videos and even their live performances with their uh, 3D uh, renderings on stage is all fictionalized. But my thing is they're real musicians. They're, they're real people creating real music. And when you listen to an album without those visuals, that's what you're getting. You're getting real people making real music. This is something that's entirely generated on a computer. The music, the vocals, the appearance. Does that lend the same credibility in the music scene? Is this something we want to encourage or should we discourage? You know, it's like people that play rock band and games like that. You're not a musician by doing that. Don't ever think that you are. My take is it's going to lose its luster and its novelty after like maybe a song or two. You had them generate holograms of like Tupac and uh, I think even Freddie Mercury or something. And there's there's talk of tours with other, you know, now dead musicians doing a tour. I mean, technology wise. Yeah, it's cool to sit there and look at a hologram and go, wow, that looks like 3D. That's cool. And then it quickly becomes to like, I know this is fake. This is not, you know, they didn't perform that. This is all within the confines of a computer program. Is that entertainment? It, can that sustain for you know an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, whatever? And especially within the niche thing of of J pop, you know, Japanese pop or rock music. Sure, it has its fandom, and they're very rabid. But are they going to fill like Wembley Stadium or anything like that? I mean, it's a limited tour in the U.S. and Canada. It's not going to be like the, the you know Muse or Taylor Swift or you know things that are are selling out like crazy. Metallica, things that fill arenas and overflow with an actual interacting band. You know, I mean that that's how I feel, but. Do you think we'll reach a state where people don't care as long as you're generating that content? I don't really know because I don't know, you know, how many albums are sold. I mean, Hatsune Miku is a phenomenon in Japan. Uh, there's anime shows that are a phenomenon in Japan. Some things crossed over to North America, such as Dragon Ball Z, Bleach, Naruto, things that are huge, Full Metal Alchemist. Um, but are they guaranteed to be a hit? outside of japan no not by any means there's stuff that's still super popular there that has fallen by the wayside here and just made barely a splash or a whimper or, or anything you know because hatsune miku actually did a concert uh in the u.s before i mean they had a, a band play and all that and and everything uh, did a performance with anime expo in downtown los angeles uh, a few years ago and I think it went off rather well. I, I didn't hear anything negative about it. At a certain point, are people just going to say, well, okay, I'm, I'm bored now, next, what? I mean, unless you just really love those songs, but those songs are all a program. Right. So you're never going to get any uh, deviation from show to show, you know? So that's, to me, that in and of itself is, is a little weird. Uh, I like what Crowry shot in, uh, in the chat says, and that's it's a three-dimensional music video you've put on the stage and sold for full price. I kind of liken that to some of what's going on nowadays and been going on for, for quite some time with artists, pop artists in particular, that lip sync on stage. It's kind of the same thing. Everything's being played back, 
um, and you have somebody pretending to be singing those vocals. So I, I would almost liken that to this Japanese pop thing. The average music fan is being asked to, to shell out top dollar because, you know, if everyone's just downloading albums for free or streaming and the streaming revenue is next to nothing for bands, the only outlet for revenue is merch sales and tours and ticket prices. As everyone knows, you know, for the bigger names are, you know, upwards of, you know, a hundred dollars a head. And I'm sure there's people that used to go to concerts all the time. And now they just go to maybe one or two a year because it's just too fucking expensive. And not just that, but you know, again, you want to see some of these really popular bands that are selling out arenas. It's tedious. <laughs> You've got to get there early. You got to get to your seat. It's, it's almost like uh, what I say about sports. I'm, I'm a sports fan to an extent. I, I really enjoy watching the Patriots and to digress just a second. Um, yeah. Tell me how they're cheating now. Nine and O under ridiculous scrutiny. And, and they're still a pack of cheaters. Uh, okay. I've been waiting for your emails to prove me wrong. I want to go back to something you said before, where it's like, they can't deviate from the program because you know, it's all pre-done. There's people that will travel around with the band and go to see multiple nights of a tour in multiple cities. They'll, they'll, they'll cram into a car or a van and drive from city to city just to see what deviation the band's going to do. It's like, are they going to perform this song? Are they going to do this song slightly different? Or this one's going to do a reggae version of that. None of that is probably factored into the program guide for the set list for this Hatsune Miku thing. It's probably just very, very regimented. It's, 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 it's pre-choreographed. It's pre-everything. And it is what it is. You're not going to see anything different in, you know, Timbuktu as you're going to see in Denver or whatever. And, you know, it, it is true, at least for our generation, until everything's, everything goes all digital. You do perceive minor imperfections. Um, ridiculous, minute, uh, minute, barely audible, but your brain perceives that as being real, as being something almost tangible. If you create something in a computer program that's just ridiculously on point, everything matches up, everything's got the same t- uh, time signature, it doesn't sound real anymore. And you kind of get lost because it's like, okay, it doesn't matter because nothing real is going on. I, I don't want to see entertainment become that sanitized, but that's what we're getting. I mean, we're going to get to a point where we're going to have AI that can do that shit on the fly that can change things up, but we're not there yet. I just, I don't want my entertainment to be sterile. That's not what entertainment should be. Entertainment should be people reaching into the depths of their soul for new forms of creativity to share with the world. Call us old fashioned, but there's something to go into a concert and yeah, you get an occasional squeak from feedback or maybe a, a note comes out a little flat or something just not spinal tap type errors, but you know, little, little variances that, that kind of make it unique. It's like, Oh, I saw that when, when that happened and you know, maybe this member of the band got a little too close to the audience and they get pulled down into it. It's like, none of that shit can happen with a hologram. It's very, you know, it's very like everyone watch. It's a movie screen, pretty much. Couldn't have those YouTube videos of an artist like falling down on stage or having a fucking meltdown and going off on somebody in the audience. Yeah, I've seen a compilation of <laughs> of rock stars going off on people with, with uh, people in the audience with laser pointers. <laughs> it's like, get that guy, beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and you know what? Another thing I just thought of, too, was some just really cool things that happen organically. Somewhat recently, Dave Grohl had an accident on stage and he broke his leg. But to see him continue the tour in a cast, sitting down in a chair, 
that was kind of touching that, you know, he's like, I can't miss this shit. You're my fans. You guys paid a lot of money to be here to see me to perform, to give it 110%. I'm going to be there. Like uh, when James Hetfield got burned really bad on stage during the, the justice tour, um, hire a backup guitarist and still do the vocals. To me, there's something about that where you, you get a little insight into that person, that personality, that de- dedication to their fan base that, is just very endearing and you can't get that from something that's synthesized. What do you guys think at BB broadcast, the big ball broadcast at gmail.com big, big ball broadcast at gmail.com. This is controversial for me. I'd really like to know what you in the chat think about this. There's a female link from legend of Zelda. Fans have been wanting this for a long time, myself included. I think it's pretty cool coming from Nintendo because you know that they're really going to make sure this is a, strong female character uh, a feminist so to speak um not something that's going to be sexually objectified or or used as a uh, rescue the princess type scenario what i don't like about her are two things in particular first is her name her name is linkle l-i-n-k-l-e i don't know what the fucking problem is just calling her link link doesn't seem to be a gender specific name i'd like to play with with not with as her uh, as Link. Uh, I don't think we need this Linkle bullshit. The other problem is when she debuts in Hyrule Warriors Legends, which is being developed by Dynasty Warriors uh, creator Temco, she's not canon. It's like other world bullshit, kind of like appeasing the fan base, but still at the same time, not quite putting it out there. So I think, A, they should make her canon in the Zelda universe, and B, just call her fucking Link. Not fucking Link, but Link, not, not Inkle. Boba Fett first showed up in the holiday special, the, the, the something worse than the prequels, and that's canon, I guess. <laughs> I mean... But he was Boba Fett, and he was still a bounty hunter, and he was still trying to fuck over the Rebellion. Fuck over anybody who was willing to pay him to go have them fucked over. Linkle sounds like Tinkle, and I don't want to play with a character that sounds like P. Pretty cool about her, too, is she... Um, Wields dual crossbows, so that's pretty badass. Uh, speaking of video games and, and Nintendo again in particular, um, not particularly something I care too much about, so I can't speak too much about it, but Cloud Strife is coming to Super Smash Brothers again. There's been a big fan demand, and a lot of fans are happy to have his inclusion in the game. I don't know if that was really a pro or a con uh, for the, the competitive tournament scene, but yay, Cloud. Yeah, anytime they announce another downloadable character to Super Smash Brothers, I, I swear the internet implodes or needs to change their panties or something. I was really, really lucky as a voice actor to get to voice Ryu from Street Fighter, who was downloadable last summer for Super Smash, and they've you know added multiple characters from multiple franchises onto this crazy popular game. Every game room I go into at a convention is just you know people are just glued to it, whether it's on 3DS or Wii, Wii U. Yeah, the Final Fantasy people are obviously nerding out over anything <laughs> with Final Fantasy VII being redone and everything. So Cloud being one of those iconic, recognizable characters coming back in. I can't personally attest to that either myself, but I know that uh, there's some people in our audience that are definitely Final Fantasy fans and uh, Smash Brothers fans. I don't know if, if uh, Tifa isn't Smash yet, but I put Tifa in there because... That Final Fantasy movie, she was pretty fucking hot. So, and Tifa's a better name than Linkle. 
I just, I don't know. It, it almost makes me feel dirty to say, it. I don't know what it is. It's almost like moist, you know? My fiance just wrinkled her nose at moist. She still gives me grief over that. But a lot of people have a problem with the word moist. I know me and you aren't the only people that, that, that cringe at that word. The only thing that really makes me cringe is, is the C word. I won't even say it on the show. It's just, it truly is the most offensive word in the English language. There you go. You can send us the most offensive word you, gli- you guys think about at BB Broadcast. We want to know. And we'll just read it all. Completely out of context. That'd be wonderful. I'm looking forward to that for the next show. We could just sit there and offend people just with a list of of things that uh, you guys submit. That kind of gets us off the hook, right? Because people submitted it to us. So we're just reading what they wrote. We're just the news. We just report it. Hey, speaking of news and reporting it, this is actually kind of pretty cool. The entire collected works of Miyazaki out in a ridiculously gorgeous box set. And when I say the collected works, I mean, we're talking Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, Castle in the Sky, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Pocoroso, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, How's Moving Castle, Ponyo, and The Wind Rises, all together in one big Blu-ray collection. But don't get too, too excited just yet. Apparently, the major flaw in this collection is that there are zero extras. On these discs are the movies only. So if you plan on buying the set, don't throw away your existing Blu-rays and DVDs because you're going to want all that additional content. No word right now if there's going to be an expanded version later with all this stuff. I have kids, young kids, who really don't give a rat's ass about additional content. And I'm thinking about picking this up just so, you know, my kids would be happy to have this entire thing in beautiful Blu-ray. Uh, I can tell you it's $215. Uh, it comes in an art book and some other neat stuff. Uh, no tokens, no figurines, no giant, ridiculous plastic collector's case. It's a very nice slipcase, actually. It's very gorgeous. So if you have none of these on Blu-ray yet and you're not one for extras, then... Yeah, I guess you could consider plunking down that cash. Or if you already have it, then hold on to it because the features on those individual discs are, I guess, I don't, I don't think they're out of print, but you'd want to hold on to that. It kind of reminded me of the situation with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, if you have things with wonky packaging, like you're talking about crazy plastic figurines or this, that, and the other... The Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 was this really nice suit briefcase thing with the Tesseract in it. It's really cool. It lights up, and, that, and that's nice and everything. But the slipcases inside for each individual movie in Phase 1, uh, they're like little CD cardboard jewel cases, not even plastic jewel cases, not even full-size DVD or Blu-ray cases. And now, this time, uh, over the holidays, Amazon exclusive is the Marvel Cinematic Universe 2 including everything up to Ant-Man, I believe, uh, which uh, just came out on HD, but uh, will be available in hard copy pretty soon. Um, The thing with that is it just looks like one of those Infinity Stones. It's just this big, beautiful thing. But, you know, if you have a, you know, most of us have some sort of collector shelf for our, for the DVDs and Blu-rays and everything. And something like that is just... You're going to have to put it in a collector case or somewhere else. It's just It just kind of stands out. So I'm kind of torn. Like, I kind of want it because I like collectible things. But I also live in an apartment, and I also decluttered a lot 
and I like not having too much clutter. And I know my fiance really appreciates the clutter not being replaced with other clutter. And the other thing too is it's not like any of that stuff ends up being worth money. It's all mass-produced plastic. So, I mean, you're not going to put it up on eBay 10 years from now expecting to even make your money back. No. Yeah, I've learned all that about my collectible stuff. I used to have tons of figures that I left in the in the plastic. And when I did this massive clutter purge this year, my fiance moved in. And I did it willingly. She didn't make me do it. I did it willingly. I decided if I'm going to have toys, I want to take them out and display them. I want to do all that. I'm not going to leave them in the package anymore. There's only so much shelf space. Back on this real quick. Are you a Miyazaki fan? Are you just kind of a casual observer? Have you seen most of the titles I rattled off in this collection? I have only actually seen Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. That's it. And in my opinion, unfortunately, not even close to being two of his best. So I would say Castle in the Sky is fucking incredible. Totoro is fucking awesome. Uh, Kiki, I love Kiki, very near and dear. Howl's Moving Castle. I mean, I really like Ponyo. I know that people, fans are kind of split on that. I dug Ponyo. I thought that was great. Um, and a lot of these movies I've watched not being high. So that's kind of like my very honest review about those. The animation is gorgeous, just like Alan S. said in the chat. It's Miyazaki. All his movies are gorgeous. Absolutely. I really did enjoy Spirited Away. Princess Mononoke was a little bit odd, but that's probably because of casting choices like... Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, come on. What? And it's dark. Mononoke is really dark. I still haven't let my kids watch that because they'd have nightmares for like two weeks. All the other ones I rattled off, they're they're kids safe enough. But what I really, really, really dig about his films is it's not pandering to children. There's actually some really deep shit going on. It's very philosophical. Um, Some of them, like Totoro, can even be a little heavy-handed with certain political or personal feelings going on. Um, So there's definitely uh, enough content to keep an adult very interested, you know, from beginning to end with these films. And the other thing I really like about Miyazaki is in all of his movies, there'll be this ridiculously long breaks where there's no dialogue. You're setting up scenes, you're you're setting up characters telling a story by expressions and and emoting. And it's just, it's really, really beautiful. He set out to be the Disney of Japan and and in certain aspects, I think he's even exceeded his wildest expectations. For the ADD generation of of quick flash cutting, Michael Bay-esque type editing and everything, I guess it could be almost jarring (laughs) how, how much slower paced it is. But, you know, if you're receptive to that sort of thing, it can, it can be absolutely very visceral, enjoyable, really, really cool artistic experience. Yeah, I'd be interested to, to see more of the films because I definitely liked what I saw. And if you're telling me that's not even the strongest out of the box set, then jet. Probably a good four or five that you would really just genuinely enjoy the fuck out of. Universal Monsters. So you had this Dracula action movie that looked like it was trying to be Braveheart this year. Universal trying to resurrect their their iconic classic figures, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman. You've had some uh, not so lucky uh, starts like Van Helsing and uh, Benicio Del Toro's Wolfman just kind of completely tank and all that. But it looks like Universal's not giving up on that notion of, of the classic creature features. No, they're not. And in fact, uh, 
you have producers Alex Kurtzman and Kurtzman, of course, uh, from the Trans- uh, Transformers universe, and Chris Morgan of Fast and Furious. They began developing this last year, and recently they spoke with Variety. And just a couple nuggets that they uh, did release about this upcoming uh, cinematic universe was that they're trying to develop identities and the question of where do I belong in the world and that they're creating a mythology. And this is canon, they say. Everything that they're putting out there, this is certainly monster canon. Um, But they're asking, what are the rules? What are the rules that are untouchable? What are the ideas that we can kind of play with? What I found most interesting and most revealing is that they did confirm the characters will interact across other movies. They say they're incubating it all and taking it in to get it all right. The first one that they're going to be releasing is The Mummy, and that comes out March 24th, 2017. And there's another Universal Monster movie, untitled as of yet, uh, set to follow on March 30th, 2018. I Again, I think it's interesting, outside of the realm of comedy like the Abbott and Costello films, to have these monsters interacting and, and crossing into other films kind of like a la the Avengers. Yeah. I was going to say, is it, is it them looking at Marvel going, Hey, let's do our cinematic universe. It bothers me that everybody is fucking doing cinematic universe, Marvel, DC. Uh, well, I guess star Wars kind of started it. So I really can't fault them, but them as well. Um, it, it's kind of getting a little out of hand. And then last week we were talking about the, the blizzard thing um, and bringing their games to films. It's just because it's successful now or for somebody doesn't necessarily mean this is what the audience is uh, demanding of every franchise out there. It's interesting that you said the mummy in 2017, you know, that first one, Brendan Fraser and everything, such a good movie. I mean, it came out just months before Phantom Menace and kind of took everyone by surprise. All the matrix also came out right before Phantom Menace. 99 was like this year of what the fuck? I thought it was just star Wars time, but yeah, that mummy was great. And then they come up with two shitty sequels, so we haven't really seen a Creature of the Black Lagoon remake yet. No, and I think it could be done really, really well. And uh, again, you're going to get me off on this three-hour tirade about how impassioned I am about the creature because you do see this uh, progression of the character through the three films. It, it is a trilogy um, and, and really humanizes it towards the end. You really, really sympathize with the creature and again, this is a being that doesn't speak, that doesn't really emote because the mask doesn't move. But it's still just incredible how that comes across, that it's something you can sympathize with. So, yeah, that's a franchise. Uh, I should have mentioned that at the beginning when I said there are some good B-movies. Um, but the Creature Trilogy is really, really great. And uh, watch all three, and I think you'll really appreciate it. So Universal trying to, to relight their monster franchise. Meanwhile, over at the House of Mouse... Yeah, Star Wars is dropping in a month. We're all salivating over that. And uh, yeah, Marvel, also under the House of Mouse. But Disney is now looking at another big fantasy franchise because you can't have enough franchises. Merlin, Merlin, you've, you, you've seen it. You've heard it from classic literature, King Arthur. You've seen some, some TV specials and movies and even a series. But it looks like that Merlin thing is coming back again. Now, I don't know about this stuff because I'm not young and hip and trendy. Um, but apparently there's this five book series under the banner, the lost story of Merlin that examines the early years of the legendary wizard, uh, as he faces a threat to all magic itself. And this is going to be Disney's next 
big thing. It's going to be live action. What's weird for me anyways, is I just can't keep, but thinking this is their Harry Potter brand. It kind of sounds like the Harry Potter story. Essentially Merlin to me was, uh, in Excalibur, John Borman's film from 1981. I loved, um, that actor's name had totally forgot blanked on him, but I thought he was such a cool, cool thing. And this is, you know, that character, obviously from, from classic literature, just long before Gandalf, long before any, any other wizard you could think of now in modern literature, probably owes a, a tip of the hat to that old school stuff. I feel vindicated by the chat room agreeing with me, Harry Potter ripoff. Hey, but why the fuck not? You know, if you're going to crib somebody from somebody crib from somebody who has, you know, a $15 billion franchise, and I know that to be true. I actually looked it up yesterday. I have a coworker who always asks me, "What do you think? Who? You know, what do you think so and so is worth? Their net worth is?" And I'll Google it. And I Googled Rowling, and although J.K. Rowling is only worth about uh, four point one billion dollars, only believe it or not, she's worth more than uh, George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. The Harry Potter franchise itself is currently valued at fifteen billion dollars. That makes me wish I cared about it, but I don't. Again, that's just, you know, crazy numbers, you know, that that's like up there with the oil industry and the medical industry. $15 billion. Holy fuck. Cocaine and Horace says Rowling do- donated most, a lot of her money though. And um, yeah, it sounds good. So did George Lucas and a lot of other people, but let's be honest for the majority of the really, really, really wealthy people, Bill and Melinda Gates. Um, it's all a tax write-off. It's a tax shelter. So they're not necessarily giving money away because they're nice. They're giving money away because it, A, makes them look good in the public eye instead of just being rich, filthy bastards. And and B, you know, the IRS is gobbling that shit up. So we got uh, one more little tidbit of news. Anybody like My Little Pony? That, that fandom... Um... That could be a little scary at times. If you say anything negative, ooh, they come right after you. But um, Hollywood has not turned a blind eye to the My Little Pony uh, Friendship is Magic phenomenon. I don't want to talk smack about ponies for the reasons you stated, but I'm going to sincerely ask, is it still a thing? Because I haven't heard about it being a thing for a while now, for almost a year now. Yeah, I think it's died down. I'm I'm I mean I understand I've talked about this before how animated stuff it does take time to record and animate and get back and edit and all this stuff it you know probably a year or two down the pipeline so by the time they greenlit a movie uh, then the movie's going to come long after the ratings start to dwindle and everything and then it's a little bit too late kind of like Powerpuff Girls is my example i always use how it's like it was this huge phenomenon great show parents loved it just as much as kids and the movie comes out and it wasn't really that good it can kind of just slap together and everything and it also came about four years after the height of their popularity too and that's my immediate concern with this uh film announcement this film isn't coming out for another two years November 3rd, 2017 is the release date for this. And ironically enough, it's the same release day as Thor Ragnarok. So I don't know if that's going to hamper it at all theatrically. I think waiting two years after the phenomenon seems to already have cooled down 
is the bigger problem. I know movie studios actually are firm believers in counter-programming against blockbusters. I think you have the third Chipmunks movie coming around Christmas. You got a new Tarantino movie. And of course, just a week before Christmas, Star Wars, which is going to just trample all over everything. But I understand there are people out there that don't give a shit about that stuff. And they're going to go see it. And they're going to go take their kids to see the Chipmunks or... um, yeah, the My Little Pony fandom, because they have, um, at least the vocal majority of them, tend to be older and not kids, they'll probably go see it, yeah. And what incentive, if you're on the fence two years from now about whether or not you should go see it, the film is introducing an all-new character, voiced by Kristen Chenoweth, um, and everybody else from the TV series is coming back, Tara Strong and everybody else, so yay. Um, but yeah, if you want to see this new character... Two years from now. There you go. Uh, put it on your calendar. Oh, wait, we don't have a calendar for that far ahead, but that's okay. Um, hey, guys, that's another episode in the can. Uh, we're one year old. We're so happy to be here. Thanks again to Kevin Smith, all of our listeners around the world, you guys in our chat, Alan S., Coke and Whores, Hero 004, Jez Oldfield, Kravy Shot, everyone else who comes around, Robert J., um, all, all the boys and girls, we really, really can't thank you enough for listening to our show. Uh, we'll come back next time. So until then, this is Kyle Abair. And this is Other World Steve. See ya. Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. 